Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're going to spend our time this week. Ephesians chapter 4. Our last installment on our journey to better understand the church. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 17 through 32. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 17 through 32. Hear now the words of the Lord. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness." Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, for by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is God's word. Amen? Amen. December 13th, 2005, his life was ended by lethal injection. It's kind of crazy. His life came to an end after spending years on death row. December 13th, 2005. He was 51 years old. He was born to a 17-year-old single mom there in Los Angeles, California. And here he is. He's got brothers and sisters. He's living in this single-parent home. And you know what happens? He finds a life in the streets. And so he, he begins to create a name for himself. And he's in and out of juvenile. And people begin to respect him because... He could fight really well. His name, Stanley Tukey Williams III. He was one of the founding members of one of the most notorious gangs called the Crips. Here, Stanley Tukey Williams, he lived a rough life. The story goes that He literally spent a significant amount of time on abandoned lots and in abandoned buildings as a teenager watching addicts get high and drunk all the time. There's no surprise that he would be in and out of jail. And there's no surprise that he would 
essentially be convicted of robbery and murder, which landed him on death row. Stanley Tukey Williams III, one of the founding members of the Crips, he, he, he was a murderer. He was a criminal. He did a lot of things that I'm sure he, he, he wasn't proud of. He was a gang leader. But then there came a change in his life. At some point, there was a change in his life. And Stanley Tukey Williams III, here this hardened criminal, began writing children's books. And here this hardened criminal began to speak out against gang life. He started the Crips. And all of a sudden, his life is changed. It does a 180 and it's facing in the other direction. He, he experiences a change. And obviously, there are people who would disagree that he changed his life or there was any kind of redemption. I love what he said. Uh, here's one of his last public statements. Stanley said these words. And I say to you and all those who can listen and will listen... That redemption is tailor-made for the wretched. And that's what I used to be. Redemption is tailor-made for the wretched. And that's what I used to be. If you think about it, that's exactly the direction that Paul is pointing us to in this text. Paul says to the church of Ephesus, you are the wretched. But yet redemption has happened for you. You are the wretched. But there's a change that has happened. I want us to see three main ideas this morning. We'll see that we are changed by Christ. We'll see that we are changed to journey in Christ. And lastly, we'll see that we are changed for others. But before we go to work, let's pray together. Father, thank you. That your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And Father, I pray that you would do a number on us this morning. Would you remind us of your sovereign grace? Would you remind us of your, your magnificent mercy? Would you remind us of the work of Jesus? Father, I pray that you would eliminate distractions, that you would allow for us to Zoom in and hone in to what you've done for us. Father, thank you that you've gathered us together. Though we all have different stories, you gather us together. And Father, I pray that you would allow for us to encounter you this morning. Lord, would you move me aside that you would speak to us in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So the last several weeks we've been talking about the church and what we've said is that the church is, the church is not about bricks and mortar. The church is actually about the people of God. Paul knows that Ephesus is a booming metropolis. There are tons of people, uh, all over Ephesus and they, they're coming to the city of Ephesus in droves. They're coming to the temple of Diana and they're coming to a huge auditorium where there are events that take place. And this place is larger than the, the FedEx Forum, seating 25,000 people. And there were people who profited off of 
paganism in Ephesus. And what we've said is we saw in Acts chapter 19 where Paul went into Ephesus. He began having spiritual, intellectual conversations and he preached the gospel the best he knew how. And people actually came to saving faith in Jesus. And what we've said is that's the job of the church. Acts 19 shows us that when Paul began preaching the gospel, those people who were benefiting from paganism, their bottom line began to fail and to go down. And they were angry at Paul because Paul is killing their business because people are not any longer buying their gods made with hands. And, and Paul is fiercely still preaching the gospel. What do you and I learn from that? We learn that that's the job of the church. That you and I, as the church, are to go into cities and we are to declare in the same way that Paul did the good news of Jesus and we are to make things better. The church is not about bricks and mortar. The church is about the people of God going on mission uh, for His sake. In the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul gives us doctrine. He gives us what we should know. But in the second three chapters of Ephesians, Paul gives us practice. He tells us how we should live. Paul begins our passage by, by giving us the condition of the Gentiles, which is the interesting thing because Paul is speaking to Gentile Christians. See, Gentile simply means non-Jewish. It means non-covenant people. And Paul says to the Gentiles, look at this, walk in the futility of, they walk in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance and hardness of heart. Paul says they're callous, they're greedy people. And I think Paul is saying to the Gentile Christians, as he's done many times, don't you forget what you used to be. Don't you forget who you used to be. Paul knows that the Gentile Christians, now that they're going to the synagogue, he knows that it's easy for them to forget where they came from. Now that they're reading the scriptures, now that they're going to church regularly, now that they are in fellowship with other Christians, he knows that it's easy for them to forget where they came from. And Paul reminds them, don't you forget where you came from. Dare I say, this is our struggle as well. The struggle of every believer to forget those, what we used to say in college, the B.C. days. The before Christ days. Isn't it easy to forget what they were like? Easy to forget how dark things were. There's an old song um, that, that talks about this. It says, how can I forget what you've done for me? I shall never forget how you've set me free. Jesus, I'll never forget. I'll never forget how you brought me out. Jesus, I'll never forget. No, never. And what Paul is pointing the church to is that they would never forget how he has set them free. That they would never forget how, how he has delivered them. That they would never forget how Jesus has brought them out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's the point that Paul is pointing them to. But Paul also points uh, them to the, the idea that Gentile Christians should know that this is what they used to be. You are not the same. 
Paul is pointing them to this idea that there is a change that has happened to you. Yes, this is what you used to be, but you are not the same. You are a different person. You are no longer allowed to live this way. Paul says the Gentiles were darkened in their understanding. They were alienated. But this used to be your story. You've been changed. You are no longer the same. And so we've got to see that we are changed by Christ. Paul reminds them how the Gentiles look then. Look at verse 20 and 21 with me. Paul says this, But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. Just stop there. Paul says, You've heard about Him. That's the point at which you believed. You've heard about Him. And you were taught in Him. That's, that's this idea of ongoing instruction. Paul is saying to the church, you heard the good news and you believe the good news. Jesus has changed you. Paul knows that many of the Gentile Christians are new in their faith. He knows how easy it is for them to slip back into their old way. He understands this. And what Paul is doing is he is reminding them that there's a change that has happened. That they have encountered the true and the living God. And they will never be the same. Because they've learned of Jesus. And, and they've grown in Jesus. Romans 1.16 says this, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, but also to the Greek. And every one of us ought to say amen to that. Paul says, the gospel is the power of God. And what he is saying to the church of Ephesus is, you have encountered this gospel. You've encountered this good news. So live like it. Walk like it. You've encountered the truth of Jesus. And the truth of Jesus has opened the eyes of your heart. Live as such. Live as changed people. See, the Gentiles would celebrate. Because Paul made it clear to them that the gospel was what had rescued them. The gospel was the the message that delivered them. The gospel is the thing that pulled them out of the pit. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.17 with me. It says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is Paul's message that the church has been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That the church is not the same. That they are new creatures through faith in Jesus Christ. Have you embraced that this morning? Are, are you living in the old person? Paul says, you've been changed. You are a different kind of person. You are not the same that you used to be. I love First Peter 2, 9-10. through 10. It helps us with this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, the apostle Peter, along with the apostle Paul, they agree in their thoughts that You and I have been changed. 
through faith in Jesus Christ, we are not the same that we used to be. See, before we had not received the mercy, we were not of the people of God. But once we encounter the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are changed. We're a chosen people. We're a chosen race. We're a different kind of person. He's transformed us. We are not the same that we used to be. I've got a buddy, a pastor friend in St. Louis, and um, man, a good friend. He, he, uh, his story is crazy. And it's crazy that he ended up being a pastor. And I can say that about myself, but definitely about this guy. Um, this brother, th- I mean, he, he, um, drugs and alcohol, that was his thing. All the time. I mean, binging on alcohol, multiple DUIs, in and out of jail. And yet he stands before the people of God. He, sh- he shared his story publicly. He stands before the people of God. A changed person. And he now, because of what God has done in him, he gets to point back to the one true and the living God because his life is not the same. He, he may be in recovery, but his life is different. He's been changed. He's a new creature. He's a part of that chosen race and the chosen people. He's a part of the holy priesthood. Before he was outside of the covenant, before he was outside of the people of God, but when he encountered the grace of Jesus Christ, he's changed. God transformed him. He's a new person. He is not the same that he used to be. What about you? Have you embraced the change? Have you embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ, which comes inside of us and transforms us? Have you said yes to it? Are you walking in it? This is what Paul is saying. He said, the church encountered the gospel of Jesus Christ and They were no longer the same. That's what we are. We are people who don't have it all together. We are the kind of people who have encountered grace. We've got different stories. And God's fingerprints of grace are upon all of our lives. But He's transformed us. We are broken people who have become a part of this chosen race, this Holy priesthood. It's called the church. That's what we are. We're not the same. We've been changed. But secondly, we've got to see that we are changed to journey in Christ. We're changed to journey in Christ. Paul says to the church in verse 22, put off your old self. In verse 23, he says, he instructs, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Then in verse 24, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Can, can we just acknowledge this morning that there is a difference? Can we just acknowledge that, that Paul makes a distinction between the old self and the new self? Can we just acknowledge that there, there is a difference? And, and i got to say this this morning. If all paths lead to God, what reason would there be for an old self and a new self? What Paul does here is he shows us that there is a very clear 
distinction. There is a point at which you and I encounter the, the gospel of Jesus Christ and our old self goes into the new category. We're a new creature. We're a new created kind of person. We've been changed. But I love this. Uh, can we just take a detour for a quick second? Uh, can we just take a detour for... Yeah, yeah, okay, cool. Um, if we're going to reach our city, we've got to embrace this idea of the old and the new. What are you talking about, Chris? Paul realizes that there's an old person, there's a new person, and all of us experience this if we come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. I want to tell you this morning, if we're going to change Memphis, Tennessee, we've got to master our story. We've got to master this reality of the old and the new person. We've got to walk in boldness, and we've got to be free to share about the old person, and we've got to be free to share about the new person. If you and I are going to reach Memphis, Tennessee, and change Tennessee, we've got to master our old and new kind of story. And God is, He's saved us, He's redeemed us, He's set us apart, He's placed us into His family. We're now adopted sons and daughters of the Most High, If our faith is in Jesus. And what he does is he gives us this old and new kind of story. And challenges us to go share it. And if you and I want to have any kind of impact in Memphis, Tennessee. We will do this. But when Paul mentions putting off and putting on. He's pointing to the reality that becoming a believer. It signifies a break with the past, and it signifies this need to continue to live out the implications of the break. What Paul says when he mentions this idea of putting off and putting on, there needs to be a break from the past. You've you've been changed, and you've been set free, and you've been delivered. Now live like it. Journey in Jesus Christ. Journey in grace. Walk in Jesus Christ. Paul says, put off the old personality of the person that you once was. Put it off and journey in the new person. I think Paul is pointing to sanctification here. I think Paul is letting us know that there is this process by which you and I grow in Jesus Christ. And this process is us being able to put off this old person consistently and putting on this new person and renewing our minds. It's the process of sanctification. And I love that Paul tells this to church folk. Why? Because it gives us this idea that they are imperfect. They don't have it all together. And that's why Paul has to remind them to put off the old self and to put on the new self because they don't have it all together. I love it. That gives me encouragement this morning because I don't have it all together. My life is messed up at times. And what Paul tells the church, he's saying to Chris Davis, Chris, put off the old self, put on the new self, renew your mind, grow in grace, journey with Jesus Christ, grow in your faith. And sometimes it may feel like this tug-of-war battle in which you're having to war to put off the old self and war to put on the new self. Praise the Lord. That means you're in Him. 
That means that you have come to the recognition that Jesus is your Lord and He died the death that you should have died and He stood in your place for your sin. If that war is not there at times, I question that you know Him. And what Paul is pointing us to is this process of sanctification by which you and I are in the same way that we change clothes, we are clothing ourselves with the new kind of person. That we're consistently renewing our minds. How do we renew our minds? We're refreshing our minds with the scriptures that we're leaning into the Holy Spirit to remind us of truth. We are gathering with the saints of God to be reminded of truth. We're lifting up our hands and our voices in worship. We're renewing our minds. We're journeying in grace. And we're journeying to, to know Him deeper. Uh, this is my story. I, I, I got to be honest with y'all. y'all uh, I may get to stand up here, but I don't have it all together. There are times that I struggle with pride, thinking too highly of myself. There, there are times that I struggle with wanting to be successful. And there are times that I struggle with wanting, wanting the church to grow just for the sake of having numbers. There are times that I feel like, God, what, what about me? I, I want to be on a larger platform. There's times that I struggle with that. There's times that I struggle with lust. There's, there's times that, that I'm selfish. And there's times where I'm, I'm dealing with my sin nature and, and I'm in the tug of war. Where I'm having to, to be in the sanctification process and I'm having to put off the old self and be reminded to put on the new self. I'm having to remind myself that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I'm having to remind myself and to declare to myself and to preach to myself that my God will never leave me nor forsake me. So put on the new self, Chris Davis. That's the process and the journey that each of us are in. This process, this sanctification process by which we are reminding ourselves like Paul did to the church of Ephesus because they did not have it all together. They were not perfect people. Put off the old self. Put on. Clothe yourself in the new kind of person. Are you in that process? And you got to ask yourself, are you in that process? Do you feel that sanctification process because if you don't, that's a scary place to be. And I want to encourage you this morning. If you are struggling with sin, if, if there's something in your life that you're struggling with and you're wrestling to put on the new person and you're wrestling to put off the old person, you have one who is a comforter in the Holy Spirit who is present with you. You are not alone. Keep fighting. Keep persevering. Keep moving forward. That's the challenge that Paul is giving the church of Ephesus. Continue on. Persevere. Remain in Him. Are you doing that? Are you living like that this morning? Lastly, we've got to know that we are changed for others. I love this. This is all over the second half of our passage. Look at verse 25. 
Let each one of you speak the truth, get this, with his neighbor. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Verse 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing, uh, our, doing work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Verse 31 and 32, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice be put away from you. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. I love this because what Paul is doing is he reminds the church that God did not save you for you, but God saved you that you may use your life for the benefit of others. That God did not just call you out of darkness into His marvelous light that you may be selfish with what God has given you. But God declared you to be righteous and He did that that you may go and wherever you are that you may be His light and that you may be His salt in the earth. God didn't save us for us. God didn't save us that we may be selfish with all that He has given us. God has saved us for our city. God has saved us for our families. God has saved us for our workplaces. God has saved us for the classroom. God has saved us for our team. God did not just deliver you for you. But He's called you out of darkness into marvelous light. That you may declare the excellencies of His grace. In order for all of this to happen, there has to be an extreme amount of submission. How in the world can the thief then become a hard worker and a generous one at that? There has to be submission for the angry person to calm down. There has to be submission. And that's what Paul is pointing us to. The reality that there there's anger and there's malice and there's all of this stuff that we have to come out of. We've got to submit to God. And we have to say yes to Him. That we would say yes to God. Change my anger. Yes, God. Change my mess. Yes, God. I submit to you. It takes submission on our part. That we would submit to Him and that He would change us. Galatians 5, 22-23 says it this way. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And many of these things benefit others. The way that I know that you are saved is by the fruit that you bear. The way that I know that you are saved is by these kinds of things coming out of your life. And here they are to benefit others. God did not just save us for ourselves. He did not just save us that we may jump for joy because we don't have to experience the pit of hell. But God saved us for others. That you and I may go out into the harvest That we may love one another as we love ourselves. That we may love the least of these as they are Jesus Christ themselves. 
that we may extend a cup of cold water to drink in the name of Jesus. That we may put clothes on folks' backs. That you and I may give a plate to to the hungry in Jesus' name. God did not just save us for us. He saved us for one another. That we may be transformed in our process of loving others. It's the same point that Paul is making in our passage. That life is not just about us. That you and I are changed to walk in Jesus for the glory of God and the good of others. That you and I are changed to walk in Jesus for the glory of God and for the good of others. There's this woman um, that grew up with my family. Uh, well, she's been around my family as I was growing up. She's uh, an elderly lady. And uh, many of you may or may not know about my family, but I grew up in a single-parent home. And there, uh, I'm the youngest of five. And so because of that, my mom struggled to provide for us uh, a lot of the time. And there was this woman who was in our church at the time uh, and she just, and even to this day, she, she loves uh, our family to death. But this woman, there were times where my mom wouldn't have food and they didn't, have a, they didn't even have a conversation, but she'd just come over with a bag of groceries and drop it off on our porch. And she'd say, Miss Davis, bless you. You know, this is for you and the kids. And there's times where my mom, with raising five children, she'd be discouraged and She'd be talking to this older woman on the phone, and this woman would remind my mother, Miss Davis, God did not give you those children by accident. He gave you those five children because he, he knew that you would love them well. He knew that you would care for them well. He didn't do that by accident. You can handle it. Hold on. Persevere. She was a godsend to our family. I mean, just, just not too long ago, a couple weeks ago, my mom called me, and I, she's older now, so she gets kind of confused. And she called me, and she says, uh, Miss Kellica just brought some cookies over for you. I tried to tell her that you don't live in town, but she, she just wanted to bring them anyway. She loved our family extremely well. And get this, she understood that life was not just about her. She understood that, that all that was in her, she understood that God had called her out of darkness into marvelous night, light, not just to benefit her, but to benefit others. Have you embraced that? The reality is, Paul says, you should shun all of these things because I want to send you into your family, into your neighborhood, into your workplace as my ambassador. I want you to treat your employees like you're my ambassador. I want you to treat your enemies like you're my ambassador. God says, I didn't just save you for you, but I saved you that you may reflect the excellencies of the kingdom. Look at verse 32, and we'll end this way. I love this. Paul says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted. Get this. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Love it. 
The beauty and the reality of it is, is the reason you and I do what we do. The reason that we want to be light in darkness. The reason that we want to be ambassadors for our cities. The reason is because we were first loved. The reason is because we we were shown compassion and now we want to show compassion. The reason is because we were forgiven and now we want to forgive. Christ gave it to us first and now we offer it to others freely. Because He has forgiven us. He has loved us. And He has extended mercy to us first. And now we lavish it upon others freely. God did not just save you for you, but He saved you for others. Get this. You've been changed. We are not the same that we used to be. We have been called out of darkness into marvelous light. You and I, the church of Jesus Christ, we've been changed. And no matter how much the enemy decides he wants to try to come in and to attempt to convince us that we have not been changed, what Paul compels us to understand is that you and I have been changed. We've been set free. We've been delivered. Live as delivered people. Live as people who have been rescued. Live as people who have been set free. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank You that You set us free. Thank You, Father, that You have not just saved us for us, but You've saved us to to be Your ambassadors, to walk in grace, to grow in the knowledge of Christ, to journey in You. Thank You. And Father, I pray that You would continue to challenge us to live and to be all that you have called us to live and be. Now, Father, we pray that you would bless these offerings that we're about to receive. Father, we pray that these tithes and these offerings would be multiplied in much of the same way that, Father, the little boy had a few fish and a few loaves of bread, and, Lord, there was food left over. Would you give us increase, God? And I pray, Father, that that You would help us by Your power, by Your Spirit, that we would be a church-planting kind of church. That we would, God, raise up leaders who are passionate about gospel-centered, multi-ethnic ministry. Father, that You would use these gifts, these times, and these offerings for us to hold the ropes of other churches getting off the ground. And Father, we thank You that You are more than enough. And so, Lord, as we give back to you what you already own, we do it out of gratitude. We do it out of thanksgiving. We do it in worship. In Jesus' name, amen.